episode 31 i am your host today andre cole aka your girl's favorite dark souls uh, class girl's favorite dark souls class that is um i am joined today by alex galinas mostly flea free and pat cotter mostly flea free also mostly mostly uh best boy in the house yeah sure we've missed it <laughs> yeah uh we've missed our best boy uh but uh let's see we got people on vacation at cons honeymoons uh you know, safe, travel, safe travels to all of them uh hopefully they come back with some interesting stories <laughs> i thought you were just gonna say hopefully they come back <laughs> that too I, they better it, they can come back but they better have interesting stories if they're not going to have interesting stories why even come back you know what i'm Fair saying enough. yeah but, yeah i agree um uh, i don't want to hear about it uh but yeah today i want to what i do want to hear about is video games <laughs> uh you've, so, you've, you've been you've been learning from sam huh uh i i sam was adopted the podcast i was born in it <laughs> oh my god this is gonna be a long day isn't it <laughs> so 7 19 in the morning you're telling me uh so uh alex what what have you brought to hear about or to talk about all right well when it comes to video games this week i've actually played many but i'm only gonna bring two to the table today and I'm going to let Pat pick which one he wants to hear about first. The bad so, one. <laughs> here's the surprise. <laughs> Neither of them are bad. Really? So, okay. So do you want the indie game or the AAA? Um, probably the AAA. I thought that was going to be the bad one. I know what the games are, so. <laughs> Just give me a sec. I'm just switching the video for the stream, and let's do this. Okay, AAA game brought to you by Activision and Infinity Ward. It is the Black Ops 4 closed beta. So I have to thank Cheska for letting me borrow that from her. I just logged into her account and downloaded it. And, you know, <gasps> I know. Don't tell the feds. But so the really long story short, yo, it's Call of Duty. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's a surprise there from either of you. No, uh, well, that's I, based on how much you disliked World War Two. Yeah, yeah, I've played a lot of Call of Duty in the past like two years, way more than I have in any years prior to that. Like, I played probably about eighty hours of Black Ops Three, and then uh, probably roughly the same of World War Two, which I really didn't like. Uh, I think this time around it works really well. It's kind of a nice blend of the two like between world war ii and uh, black ops 3 and by that i mm. mean like black ops 3 um the formula was a little different so in black ops 3 you had stuff like lots of wall running and double jumps and stuff like that those aren't really in it right now which at first i was kind of put off by but 
the more more I played, it's actually I think it's a little better balanced. And the um, like that actually, sorry, that makes it more like World War Two because that's what they were talking. Sledgehammer was all oh, boots on the ground, Call of Duty, N- none of that stupid ability bullcrap. But um, the other thing that it did was in I don't know, did you, either of you guys play much Black Ops Three? I played some. I haven't really touched Call of Duty since Black Ops One. Okay, so in three, there were different specialties. And by those, they're like kind of character classes, and each of them has an ultimate. And you basically go to those character classes and pick them for their ultimate. Like, you pick the guy who throws his hammers on the grounds and everything blows up, or whatever. Uh, that was the only real differentiator that the the uh, the specialists had in Black Ops Three was the ultimate. So you were either picking something that was like hyper aggressive and destroy everything, or like a support thing that would give your team extra boosts for like thirty seconds or something. Which yeah. it worked, but throughout the match, you didn't really feel like the specialist you were playing mattered, except for that ultimate. But they've um, they've changed it this this time around. So every class, there's more classes for one thing. And uh, they each have special abilities that recharge multiple times throughout the match. So like probably every 45 seconds or so. And they're, they're like actually super useful things. Like there's like a, you can do the support style one where you can place down a sentry, uh, like a sentry, which basically shows enemy movements within like a certain radius on the minimap. So it's like basically having a UAV, but you know, smaller scale. Uh, there's one where if you want to be more aggressive, there's like trip mines that you can set up. So you set up one point of it at one place and the other point at the other place, and then it just connects it. So you can kind of set it up however you want, like stuff like that. And you can set up barricades, you can set up barbed wire and all this stuff. It's, you can set up mobile spawn points. Like that's just something that's on a refresh, like every 45 seconds. So I think those are really good and the ultimates that they've added or that they've reworked or whatever the case might be are generally better like the support style ones especially like the support ones uh one that i've done is like there's like kind of a medic class that you would think of kind of like a battlefield style medic class but his ultimate is he just gives everyone on his team a permanent uh 50 point health boost so if you're starting at 150 you get an extra 50 until you die so stuff like that that's cool. Yeah, like I, I think it actually plays really well. I, I will say I don't love it because I still don't love playing shooters on a console. So like playing yeah. controller still feels like shit to me. But I think mm-hmm. the game itself is really good, and it's been really stable. It's never had any server problems, and like I mean, it's a it's a closed beta, so it's a smaller pool. But I think largely it's been yeah, a super positive experience. Actually, that's good. It's good to hear. I'm sort of i doubt i will pick that game up when it releases but um i love the first two black ops black ops 3 was okay i wasn't crazy about it but it was fine um and then i kind of just sort of uh hadn't really played any since then i picked up uh world war 2 last weekend because it was on sale for a lot off and it's not very like i wouldn't tell people to run out and get it but it's fine in the state it's in now but i kind of concur that i've moved away from that series largely because i just prefer to play on pc now Mm -hmm. and um uh they just don't they haven't seemed that compelling on pc like with they've always felt to me like they should be played on a console 
even while you're playing them on PC. And World War II gets away from that a little bit. I think it feels better than the last few that I had played on PC did. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I it the, the thing that I wonder though is like, and maybe this is a specifically like platform based issue, but like there's I think a niche that could exist between something like, and I don't know that Call of Duty cares about what niches exist, but uh, between something like Overwatch and Rainbow Six, where Mm -hmm. like Siege is very, very, very hard to play. It's very hard to get into. Um, It's brutally like one shot, one kill. It's very, very much like very tactical and and slow paced, um, unless you're like, really really good and you can just run out and kill everyone and sometimes you get matched with those people and it's a disaster mm-hmm. uh but like True. the characters have different abilities and stuff you know like they're they're it's sort of like overwatch except extremely tactical and very very uh harsh and then overwatch is much more like sort of uh not that it's not highly competitive but it's it's just a different feeling of game it feels like it's so based on objectives um so i feel like there's a there's room in there for a game that is more military focused and more um, shooting focused, but that is also has that those abilities and has that kind of Overwatch uh, complexity to the way the characters work. Sure, and I think that can exist in Call of Duty. I think it depends on the mode you play, though, because sure. um, largely with this beta, uh, there's I've been playing Team Deathmatch. Mm-hmm. There are four modes available. And I think if you're going for the more tactical one, you can do search and destroy, which is basically Counter Strike. Yep, which and is which is how Rainbow Six Siege works. If you haven't played it, it's 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 yep. a one team plants a bomb, the other defuses it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I I I haven't tried it yet. I think maybe I should because you might be able to get a little bit of that in there. Yeah. So maybe I'll play a bit of that and then get back to it. I've put in probably five hours so far this weekend. Uh, yeah. Cool. So. Yeah, I'm, intrigued. I know, it's cool. I'm intrigued to hear what they do with their battle royale stuff too. I don't yeah. think it's going to be very good, but yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent hopeful for it yet. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I have no idea what to make of it because I still think Call of Duty is a little too fast paced for that to work. But I don't know. Give them the benefit of the doubt and see what happens when it actually comes out. But by the way, the menu treatment that this game got is straight out of Destiny. Oh, like, like you know how you have like the little cursor that you're moving around and it snaps to stuff. That's the worst thing. Why? That's not good. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all about that. It's my game also has that. Mm. I'm looking. I'm playing it on PC, but I'm using a controller, so it's all (laughs) fair enough. But yeah, I don't know. So far, feelings on the closed beta like it more than World War Two. I think I like it more than Black Ops Three, but it's still only five hours in. We'll see. Sure. And uh, yeah. is the fact that there's no single player, does that have any effect on your future enjoyment of the game, do you think? Uh, I never played Black Ops 3's campaign. Um, I got like four-fifths of the way through World War II's campaign and dropped it because I thought it was terrible. So mm. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I think did, for some people sure. it's going to be a bummer because they like that roller coaster ride and the Black Ops series historically mm-hmm. has a pretty interesting campaign. But... The- 
the problem is that the first two games had like such an interesting story and were actually really fun to play the campaigns through. And then the third one just dropped so much of what made the first two really cool. I never managed yeah. to get through all of the third ones. Yeah. I never touched it. Like the first one just had a cool story with the numbers and Mason and all that. And then the second one had all of those like divergent choices and stuff that you could make throughout the campaign. Right. And it was still connected to that yeah. first game story, but yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's the case. And a lot of time, in a lot of cases, if I recall, in the second one, you didn't even necessarily know you were making a choice. Like yeah. there would be instances where you would get, you would receive a directive to like shoot someone, and it would, and so you just shot them. But if you actually didn't shoot them, it would be a branching story path and you just wouldn't didn't know that was a thing unless you didn't do it took a chance so that stuff was so subversive and cool and really kind of got back to the core of what i think i liked about call of duty the stories in the original world war ii ones way back when yeah totally yeah but i feel like with how much people poo-pooed on infinite warfare and everything uh advanced warfare 2 i guess like i feel like maybe they just didn't feel as willing to take another risk so they just doubled down on the multiplayer. I don't know. I, I can't claim to know. I'm not the developer, but. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I don't understand the response to those games when it's like, when it's bad. I'm like, what? why? What? You're mad because it's in space? What? Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the large reasons they got rid of the double jump, honestly, is because people were just like, I don't know how to hit the X button twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That I thought I thought the increased mobility stuff was really cool, and I think that you're kidding yourself if you think that something like World War Two is like slower. I don't know. Playing that game, part of the reason that I really enjoyed that I've enjoyed the time that I've spent with it is because it is so different. But like, I've you sprint around and just like pop off shots with bolt action rifles on people ripping around corners like there's no part of that game that is like realistic or tactical at all (laughs) it's just as ludicrous as everything else so i don't understand why like the difference between whether there's a wall run or a dolphin dive really bothers people that much well at least with like the wall run it like it opens up so much more that you can do and maybe that's just like for some people they're just like no i just want to run around and shoot i don't want to worry about like all these extra like points of attack or something yeah and i, I, I kind of get i guess what i'm saying is i kind of get the appeal of that because that was sort of the refreshing thing about playing world war ii is that it's just sprinting around and shooting yeah. um but i don't know i think that 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 that's like i don't know go play quake champions or something if you're that tied to that um yeah. I think it's yeah. a very vocal minority that actually cares about that stuff. I think you're probably right. Yeah. They're so vocal, they can direct yeah. the uh, conversation around those who yep. are less vocal and maybe not as plugged in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, I think verticality does add a lot to it. So it's kind of a bummer that it's not there, but who knows? Maybe they'll show up in another Maybe they'll have like a cool. special mode for it or something. Well, it would also be cool if they gave it to certain specialists, too. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the thing that Overwatch does. Yeah. Like, that's true. Characters can wall run or climb up ledges or whatever. Yep, there is there is one character who has a grapple hook, so he can kind of fly around real fast and stuff like that. So maybe yeah. that's... I haven't really played that specialist, so I don't know. One, one last thing to note. Uh, there's no auto-regenerating health in this game. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, so like your, your L... From World War II. 
Yeah, even even World War Two had that, but you have basically have a L two button that's your heal, so you inject yourself with heal, and then it you can add different perks or whatever that make it more frequent, or it speeds up the heal and stuff like that. So everyone has the heal though. Yep. Okay. And it's just like on a like a forty five second cooldown or something. Less than that, I would say like ten second maybe. Oh, wow. okay. So yeah. it sounds like it's just auto healing. Just you have to push a button first, like, right? Yeah. So you kind of have to micromanage it in a way. Like so I mean, it's a very high level micromanage, but how how um like how quick is it to like? Is it like okay, you stab yourself and there's an animation and then it like charges up over like a few seconds, or is yeah. it like stab yourself and you're up? Yeah, it's basically there's an animation that takes let's say a second and a half which is stabbing yourself, and then it probably takes, without any perks, probably about three seconds to go... Like, let's let's say you're at, Mm -hmm. like, five health. It probably takes three and a half, maybe four seconds to get all the way up. But you can get perks that, like, cut the animation speed in half and, like, cut that time in half, basically. Yeah. So you can still totally get killed in that time. Oh, easily. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's a cool dynamic. I don't know. um, Feelings are way more positive than I thought they would be for me. It just feels like they really need to, like, I keep hoping that this is what Battlefield, what EA is building towards the Battlefield. They really need to just fucking cool it and, like, say, like, this is not, like, that's kind of why I wish they hadn't even called it Black Ops 4 and they just called it Black Ops again Mm -hmm. and just said, like, this is the Black Ops platform from now on. This is the near future Call of Duty. World War II is the World War II Call of Duty. And you know, whatever they do next is the future Call of Duty or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's a frustrating thing thinking like, Hey, I liked, I'm liking world war two, but in six months, is there going to be, is it going to be possible to find a game of it? Yeah. I agree with that. It's, it's very frustrating. And like EA, I don't know how much it's going to work, but EA is trying to like unify the battlefield games with a single launcher that like when you right. launch any of them, you can navigate to Battlefield One, Battlefield Five, uh, or Battlefield Four, and it feels like maybe they're trying to kind of like, here's your different flavors of Battlefield, but it's still just as viable to play Battlefield Four as it is to play the newest one. Right? Is that still Battlelog? No, it's it's not in a browser anymore. Okay. It's a it's a it's a like application based menu. The weird thing yeah. is that you have to they're not all the same executable. Like if you, if you go to, um, no, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) I I wasn't going to say anything. Oh, Oh, no, I don't don't care if I sit, we have our own. It's 2018. Come on. Uh, the, the, uh, don't kink shame him. Okay. It's, it's all, it's, it's not the same, uh, collection of files stored on your hard drive in a hierarchy of folders. There are different hierarchies of folders for the different battlefield games. Mm -hmm. They don't share, uh, asset files between their different folder sets. So you have to, if you click on battlefield four in like, if you launch battlefield five, then click battlefield four in the like menu, it'll say, do you want to launch battlefield four? And you have to have that installed still and stuff. So it's not perfect, but it's kind of moving in a direction that I'm a fan of. That's cool. I mean, I have mixed feelings about software as a service in general, but uh, like if they if they started treating it like WoW or like classic classic MMOs where they're charging you per month rather than you going out and buying a box, then I would feel a little weird about it. But I think there's a middle ground that can exist. Like I think Overwatch is a great example of that. And I'm not suggesting that like, 
Overwatch and Call of Duty are directly comparable from a business perspective, but it's it's a it's a good example of how that can look long term. Of, um, I think there's a way that they could say like this. Like I said, Black Ops can be the near future one, and next year maybe they'll put out a box that is something else. But if they can continue to support the games that they've put out over the last couple of years that are their different flavors, that mm. would be really kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, one last question. Uh, loot boxes? Are they apparent in the beta or? They have no presence in the beta, but I imagine they will exist. Because Black Ops 3 was full of them. World War II has so many of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, like, World War II came out last year, like, in the midst of all, like, the backlash. So it's I'm also all cosmetic, if... too. So Yeah. Yeah. Like, are they per- they're purchasable, right? Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah, so I wonder if, I wonder what will happen. Dude, World War II's... I don't know if Black Ops 4 is going to be like this, but World War II's system of, like... <laughs> loot is fucking weird that's some of the strangest stuff it's even weirder than battlefield one where it's like you can get like purple and orange guns but they don't have different stats they're just rarer. they're just rarer and they look slightly different but not like radically different just like different camo pattern or something but then you can still just apply a different camo pattern on top of it and they do things like this one fulfills weapon challenges at twice as fast, or this one gives you double XP or like this one earns you points towards cosmetics faster. It's so strange. Well, they can't really go and like say this one does more damage than no, the, of course. Like, so yeah. yeah. They have to do something to like make it seem like, Ooh, I got the good one. Yeah. It's definitely better than it could have been in battlefield one. They just did it where like it was weapon skins. Basically some of them had slight model variations too, but it was basically just weapon skins. That's what you were getting out of the, the boxes, the loot crates. Um, but they didn't call them and they had different rarities, but they were just purely skins. They didn't have this weird, like there's like 4 billion cosmetic options in world war two. It's completely insane. I don't, <laughs> and None of them seem to really like you can overwrite them all with different ones and stuff. It's so weird that yeah. that that game is a strange thing. And then nine times out of ten, you're dropping emblems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, I don't know. In a game where you barely ever see the other person because it moves so fast, it's very strange. Yeah, I don't know. I the thing I find most interesting about Call of Duty is the fact that Infinity Ward has become kind of the lowest tier, and Treyarch has somehow become the ty- highest. Like that's people now await the Treyarch game way more than they await the Infinity Ward game. So, hmm. anyways, that's enough talk about Call of Duty, probably. Just way more than I thought we would do. Yeah. So, give me just a second to switch the video that's going on in the background, and let's have a little talk about this random indie video game that I got introduced to by a streamer friend of mine. <laughs> so. She showed me this game, and as soon as she showed me, I was like, oh man, that art style is super cool. I'm going to go pick up that game because it looks hella rad. And after that, it just went straight upwards. Like, my appreciation for it just kept getting better and better and better. So, the game itself is called Just Shapes and Beats, and I'd heard little bits and pieces of people mentioning it here and there, but never really heard anyone saying anything about its quality or if it's worth playing, just that it exists. 
And so first, like what what the game is, is it's a mashup of genres. And usually genre mashups make me feel hesitant because like it feels like mashups can sometimes just be cobbled together or uninspired. Like it's a developer looking at a wall full of popular genres and then throwing two darts at it, just like thunk roguelike, thunk Metroidvania, and then slamming them together. But um, this mashup is one of a rhythm game and a bullet hell. And the first thing I have to say is that the studio, Berserk Studio, I think they're out of Quebec, um, they totally nailed it. Like, you can tell they're really passionate about both music and games, and it shows in, like, every single moment of that game and every aspect, like, from the UI to the gameplay to the soundtrack to just everything. So, for one, the music is, like, exceptionally good. Uh, Like, it's largely EDM-focused, so it has a lot of dubstep and trap and, like, that kind of stuff. So, you have to kind of like that genre, I guess, but I think... Even if you don't have that much of appreciation for it, it's still 100% worth getting into. Uh, As someone who isn't into that kind of music, watching videos, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's an, it's also weird combinations of that music. Like it's kind of chiptune-y with straight up EDM. So, which is usually chiptune artists are like, oh no, we have to be pure. But I think these guys did a really good blend of It's that. like serious dub and trap too. Oh yeah, definitely. It's not like, it's not like, like video game dub and trap where it's that's like you could hear that that music is stuff you would hear at a festival yes 100 percent. so but yeah the music is great and the art like i said the art is actually what initially draw drew me into it because i think for an indie game of a studio of three people it is maybe the most cohesive art style i've ever seen <laughs> like it's it's really well executed and it's just it's super cool the way everything moves and kind of undulates i guess it's a very simple like art style which which isn't bad but it just it's not like super detailed it's just like a lot of lines and shapes but it's like the name says just shapes and beats yeah but it has this style to it that's just super cool but yeah um very cool the uh i would also say that the gameplay also holds up its end of the bargain (laughs) though i will say that it is incredibly difficult yeah so uh like in the options menu you can turn on what they call casual mode which basically doubles your hit points and even with that sometimes it's still ridiculously hard (laughs) like i've i've whiffed on levels even with double hit points so i only have two criticisms for the game one is that like hyper difficulty it can be really unforgiving uh so sometimes just i'll get back to it It, the hyper difficulty but also i think the story mode is too short and Mm. first i was surprised that it had a story mode uh but the thing is the story mode was so amazing that i wish there was like more of it (laughs) because it was just so so good like i think i hope at least one other person on the cast plays it so we can talk about oh, you told me i'm i'm definitely gonna play this i think sick i'm super excited to talk about the story mode with you because i think it's really special and i don't want to spoil about like why and it's also weird to say like i don't want to spoil a rhythm game story <laughs> yeah but to- yeah the one thing i'll say is that i got some real near vibes from the from it especially with uh like around the final boss of the game yeah yeah, to be honest, like the thing that kind of I remember when it came out and the thing that kind of I was lost on is I didn't think that the visuals looked that impressive in screenshots. Um, mm-hmm. 
but now that I've watched the some trailers, like actually seen it in motion, it's really cool when you see it move. It's so flat that um, in screenshots, it's flat when it's still that I thought it was kind of amateurish. But when you see it in motion, you can tell that it's just very. The character is all in the animation. Um, Absolutely. And and then the other thing that I kind of assumed about it because when I see like m- music based anything, I just assume that it's going to be that kind of. I always go back to sound shapes. Like I just assume it's going to be another one of those. And it's not that yeah. sound shapes is, is a bad game necessarily. And it's not that the music in it is bad necessarily, but it's very, I don't like it when artists try to cram EDM music into a video game. Like when they try to make music for a video game, a good example of that issue is like, if you look at the soundtrack to rocket league, rocket league has a load of awesome dub and trap music, uh, and, and, um, uh, like techno pop in it. Um, and most of it wasn't made for the soundtrack of rocket league. And it just is cool electronic music that is fun to listen to while you play rocket league. Uh, dead mouse is on that soundtrack. That's why I think it's interesting. Cause if you also look at dead mouse's music from sound shapes, like his music in rocket league is so much better than what he did for sound shapes because it's like, deconstructed to be music music gamey and it seems like just beats and shapes from the little bit of the soundtrack that i listen to it's like they kind of have cracked it a little more than a lot of in a lot of cases where it's tied directly into the gameplay but like i said it's music you could hear at like a festival it's actually like really engaging music if you're into that genre beyond just being video game music totally and i would completely agree and it's really apparent from the levels like one thing that should be noted is that uh there's no like level creator or anything and i think that would be really cool but it should also be said that all of those levels are like painstakingly handcrafted for every individual song yeah <laughs> so like like you said like it's not as though they just licensed a bunch of music and then made stuff that kind of works with it it's like no it's completely in- integral to the experience so yeah, the, it's the another thing about it is it has a absolute ton of replay value. Um, it has challenge mode, which is basically you can uh, load up three songs, or like it'll give you a selection of three songs, and you pick the one you want to do, and then you're just trying to do challenges with it. Like, how far can you get without using a a boost? How can you how far can you go without taking any damage? Kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get points and then you unlock more songs and i would say let's say this isn't the actual number but if there's 20 songs in the main game there's probably about 50 songs in that challenge mode like there's oh, cool. there, so there are more levels beyond what's in the story mode that's and, very cool uh one of them i ran into because the challenge mode is completely random but one of the songs is what you purchase with like the highest amount of points and i was really surprised to see it in there <laughs> yeah and it's it's one that i know that both of you guys know Oh, cool. So I, I don't know if I should spoil that or just let you figure it out. No, no, no. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm downloading it now. I will definitely. Yeah. Still check it out. burning song from Far Cry Three. Yeah, it's that Skrillex dubstep thing. No. <laughs> it is from it's... a classic arcade game of the '90s. Oh, that's cool. Turtles uh, in Time. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I love that game. I think it's, it's safe to say it's definitely in my top ten for the year and probably in my top three. So, I I both want to play it and I'm intimidated by it. Every time I've watched videos, I just get overwhelmed, and I'm like, mm, "Yeah, sounds really cool," but also I don't. Ugh. Yeah, I think 
if you don't love bullet hells, it might be a hard sell because it is very difficult. I yeah. weirdly tend to really love bullet hells. I don't ever like, I don't, hmm, how do I want to phrase this? I don't like the, the bullet hell, uh, like a lot of the Japanese games that are specifically built for that genre. Like two, but yeah. Or, or like Ikaruga or like a lot of the like top down shooters. I'm not crazy about. Um, but, uh, I love bullet hell sequences in other games and I love like every time games incorporate aspects of bullet hells. So like, really it's just, it's gotta be the right aesthetic for me to, to enjoy it. I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like parts of near, exactly yeah <laughs> anyways yeah play that game it's super cool cool okay well uh so pat i i gave a very specific direction i want to hear about video games what do you have I, this my game will be a video game in the next few weeks i'll accept it there's there's there will be <laughs> it will, you'll be able to play it digitally uh just not yet uh i'll, I'll allow it so uh so i had a, a bit of a weird video game week because i um was like laid up in intense tooth pain for a few days and then got a, a root canal uh on thursday right. so much of my week was spent on managing tooth pain and i did not want to play any video games i just wanted to lay on the couch and um and, and watch giant bomb basically was what i did with most of that time uh but um a game came out Thursday that I received uh, my product for last night um, at uh, Gen Con, which is Gen Con is, uh, if, for those who don't know, is I think still the largest uh, gaming convention in the North America. Um, it's Gen Con standing for generic convention. <laughs> uh, so it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tabletop convention. So it's all board games, card games, role-playing games. There's a small video game presence there every year, but it's like blizzard has a booth there this year, but it's usually just where there's some crossover. Like I think blizzard is mainly pushing uh, hearthstone there. Um, sometimes video game companies, when they have board games, coming out that are licensed to another company that's really small the board the video game company will do a booth but um it's an interesting show because it's very um purchasing focused uh it's there's nothing like it in video games because like if you imagined packs but the main reason you go to gen con is to buy new shit that's what it's about like the the vendor hall the exhibitor hall is the main attraction at gen con and it's just that like hundreds and hundreds of tabletop games release there and you can wait for them to hit retail stores, but usually you can buy them two to three to four months before they'll be available in stores at Gen Con. So the main reason you go is to like get swept up and buying the crazy new stuff. Um, doesn't that also give you an opportunity to like play with people? Uh, yeah. So there are like tournaments and open play and you do get to play a lot of stuff while you're there, but trust me, like it's largely to go and buy stuff and it's not so much to be able to like go and demo a game before you buy it. That's true of smaller stuff. But like, for example, um, a while back I was talking about, uh, the X-Wing miniatures game and they have, uh, their 2.0 version comes out next month, but you were able to purchase it this week at, uh, Gen Con and there was no try before you buy. There was 
get to the get to the vendor hall as early as you can to sit in line and then as soon as the doors open you walk as fast as you possibly can to the fantasy flight games booth to buy it before it sells out like it's really weird it's a very strange experience if you're not used to it mm-hmm. but then are are people like do people buy their game and leave do no they no no you stick around and play the, stuff. Yeah. yeah okay that, yeah. Yeah. so you go you buy stuff and then you set up and you play with other people right right experience. yeah but in a lot of cases like in the case of something like x-wing I mean, you can play that at your local store too. So I, yeah, the yeah, draw yeah. is definitely the purchase. It's not like you don't play it, play your stuff that you buy at all. And there is a certain fun of like, typically most people, when they go, they go with friends. And so you like, when I used to go, when I lived closer, it's in Indianapolis. So when I, when I lived closer, we would go and then we would say like, someone would say, well, I'm going to go buy this game. Someone would go buy this game. And then we would kind of meet up again. And then everyone would sit around and play all the games we bought. And that there's a certain fun to that. And in a lot of cases, like maybe in some board games cases, I like the only times I ever played it was right after I bought it at Gen Con. But um, yeah, but uh, but at the end of the day, though, it still is way more focused on buying stuff than most other cons. But anyway, I kind of digress. Just for context real quick. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, about how many vendors would you say there are? Oh, geez. Hundreds. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, like dozens, uh, but hundreds is a lot. No, yeah. So it's it's vendors of all sizes. That's the the crazy part. Like, there's like probably fifteen well, to everyone, twenty. Everyone has a Warhammer game now. So <laughs> it's funny in tabletop that license is a lot more heavily guarded. Uh, but um, the, uh, the there's like the big heavy hitters like Games Workshop who makes Warhammer um, Fantasy Flight games, who makes X Wing and a lot of other stuff. And then like, you know, wizards of the coast who makes magic, the gathering, like those are the big, huge elaborate booths, but there's hundreds of the, my favorite part of going to Gen Con is, is not so much the, you do the Russian buy the new fantasy flight game. That is like a hundred dollars or whatever. My favorite part of it though, is walking like the far corners of the halls. And then there's literally people like hustling their games out there. There's people like that stop you and say like, Hey, do you like uh, crime drama? Do you want to come play my new miniatures game? It's like focused on Chicago mob scene in the twenties. And that's the cool stuff is walking around and seeing all these independent designers. And again, there's hundreds of them because you're, you can get a booth that's the size of like a computer desk. So just lots of these people selling. I remember the, the year, one of the years that I went, I got super deep in this, like living card game, semi-collectible card game from a team based in Michigan that was about like alternate history Detroit. And I got super invested in it and played in a bunch of games and then never did anything with it ever again. So like (laughs) there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you see there. Um, So anyway, uh, um, a few weeks, month or two ago, I brought a game called Lightseekers, which is a, was a trading card game. That's an sort of app enabled trading card game um you buy you can buy physical or digital cards but when you buy the physical cards you can scan them into the game and play them so the same company on thursday released a game called uh warhammer age of sigmar champions which is like actually one of the few currently licensed warhammer products in tabletop uh and it's a straight up trading card game based on age of sigmar um and it's like one of the, it has some elements of light seekers in it, but it's a lot more nuanced in a lot of ways. And I can honestly say it's like easily one of the coolest card games I've played in the last 10 years or so. Uh, it's, it's very unique for, for the company. Would you say the video game analogy would be like, uh, 
how Ingress turned into Pokemon Go. Like they started their own thing and then it turned into a licensed property that was potentially yeah. way bigger. Yeah, definitely. I think the difference is that, um, I think that's an interesting analogy and the difference from a business perspective here is that a lot of Warhammer players have disdain for card games. Um, like the people that are going to end up playing this game are largely not going to be people who play the tabletop, the miniatures game. Um, because there's this sort of snobbishness among wargaming of like, well, what we do is a real hobby. Trading card games aren't a real hobby. And I think it's bullshit, but <laughs> it is sort of a prevailing idea in those communities. Um, and, you know, it's a card game with a card games are tough because it's it's a card game that is very flavorful and fun and it's cool that it's based on age of sigmar but it could be based on lord of the rings it could be based on star wars it could be based on just about anything it's really hard to make a card game that is its theme ties into its mechanics too heavily uh part of the reason that like the pokemon card game is one of the ones that's really successful is because of that because the theme ties in so well with with what the game is um but but Age of Sigmar Champions is really cool because like if you've played uh, if you've ever played um, anything like Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or whatever it's just like totally different. There is no there are almost no parallels to any other trading card game. Again, the closest thing is there are some similarities to their other game, Lightseekers, but even those are kind of loose ties. Um, it's it's like it's out there as like Gwent is in that it's just totally different. Uh, the the basic idea being that like you have you you pick one of the grand alliances from Warhammer, which is like order, chaos, death, and destruction, uh, and then you pick a you build a team of four heroes and and then a choice of four of these major they're called blessings, but they're like reward cards that do something really big. And then you build a deck of 30 cards and you basically try to like use your cards to complete quests, which are outlined <laughs> by your character's cards. And when you complete the quests, you get those big buff bonuses, but you're still trying to kill your opponent. It's still like a life based, like magic, the gathering in that sense of like, I have 35 health, you have 35 health. So there's like lanes created by each of the champions and they play units into the lanes. And as the cards rotate, they do different effects. Um, just really wild and out there. It's really fun. Cool. So do you think this is going to be similar to what, uh, that, uh, what is it? Artifact? Oh, oh, artifact. Do you think it's going to, do you think artifact is going to be doing a similar thing with like lanes and stuff? So I don't think so. They don't refer to them as lanes in Sigmar champions because I think they're trying to avoid comparisons to like MOBAs because it's not really like that. It's more like a battlefield layout in that there's usually cards. They have like uh, notations on them that show what positions on the board each card can affect. Um, Whereas artifacts from what I've seen of it, there's pretty limited gameplay footage, but from what I've seen of it, it almost looks like you're playing three games of Hearthstone at the same time in three different mm-hmm. lanes, um, which I'm hoping that it is more elaborate than that. And I think it probably will be because, again, there's pretty limited uh, info out there about it. So I don't I don't think that they're trading on the same thing exactly. But the other thing, without bogging us down, like talking about the rules of this game, it's just a really cool... It's cool that they this company has finally nailed 
bridging physical and digital games. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh has tried to do it. Uh, like you can scan or not scan, but you can enter in codes from the cards to get them digitally. But like, imagine opening a pack of 10 boosters and then sitting there with your phone and typing in 10, 12 digit codes. Like, yeah. That's just not, it's not fun. And then on top of that, the digital game for Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of sucks. It just doesn't run well and it doesn't look good. Whereas what PlayFusion has done, like you just hold your phone up over a stack of 20 cards and then it just scans them and they're in. So like I, I had, I picked up all four of the starter decks and an entire box of boosters, which is around 500 cards. Uh, so, uh, it's a lot of cards and it took me like an hour and a half, but I had them all scanned and sorted and everything put together. Um, and, uh, it's just really exciting because that's always been kind of like one of those dream things. I think for a lot of trading card game players is like, I wish I could play this game digitally and have both physical and digital copies of it so that I can play it out and pull it out and play it at a store or play it on my phone or desktop or whatever. So what happens if you purchase a digital card and it's like the rarest card in the game like but you want to play it physically what happens yeah in that case? you you there's definitely uh, you wouldn't be able to play with it physically this so that's one of the things that's, out. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things that's a little uh they kind of differentiate in the app between your physical and digital cards um the again the Age of Sigmar Champions game part the app to scan the cards in is out, but the game part is still locked. Okay. Um, they're doing a beta, but it'll work the same way as Lightseekers, which has been out now for a little bit. Um, in in that your physical cards, the way they differentiate them is that as you play with the physical cards that you scanned in digitally, you they actually gain levels in the app, um, whereas the digital cards that you get do not. So the idea being like. For something like Lightseekers, I'm probably never going to play Lightseekers physically ever again because it's like, I, for example, I've been trying to pound pavement and get people to carry this Warhammer game. I went into a local comic book store that does, or really game store um, first, that does uh, trading card games. And I was talking to the owner and he was like, oh yeah, I haven't heard of this game. And then I said, have you heard of Lightseekers? And he was like, nope, never heard of it. And this is a guy that like sells trading card games as their livelihood and dude does a good job at it enough to afford rent in Seattle. So like, uh, that tells you how limited and how, how small of a community is around light seekers. Um, so in that game, I don't really have a problem with just owning mostly digital cards, but, um, because there's the license behind Sigmar, the one thing that they kind of encourage you to buy physical cards with too is that it's not actually cheaper to buy the digital cards it's about the same price so it actually makes more sense to order physical cards online even if you can't buy them locally uh oh so uh, yeah uh you were saying you bought like the like the booster packs or whatever like, mm -hmm. you, you bought a lot of cards yeah. uh so this is a game where you are buying expansion packs and you're not just buying or you're buying booster packs of like yep. 10 cards each instead of buying like expansion packs where you know what you're getting in every yes. pack. It's definitely random pulls. The nice thing about this game is uh, for starters, it's sort of, it's basically 30 card decks. Like I said, you pick four heroes and four blessings that kind of are tied to each hero, but your deck is 30 cards. Um, 
but you get 13 cards per booster pack, which is kind of a lot. Um, so that part's kind of cool. The boosters are priced the same as Magic the Gathering boosters, three to four dollars, depending on the market that you're in. Um, and then you get you can get them for way less if you buy them in bulk, like I did. Um, and uh, the other nice thing about it is it does not have a legendary rarity tier. So if you're familiar with things like Hearthstone, there'll be a card rarity that you're only going to get in maybe one out of six packs. And even then, it's not guaranteed. The nice thing about uh, Sigmar is it's there's there's just commons, uncommons, and rares. And you get, I think it's eight commons, four uncommons, and whatever, two rares uh, or a rare in every pack. So it's kind of cool because th- there's not quite the same... The, the card per card prices aren't going to be as crazy as they are in some other games with like ultra high rarity levels. And um, like I have one box and I'm, I might get one more box, but after that, I think I'm going to be good. I'm not going to, you don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on getting packs. But what if, what if they put out more, more packs? Well, they will eventually, but that's actually one of the values of it being kind of a small team and a small company is that unlike a company like Wizards of the Coast that has Magic the Gathering releases planned for the next 10 years, PlayFusion has put out, they just released their third Lightseekers set, and that game has been out for two years. So they don't come out every two or three months like they do with Magic the Gathering. It's it's more like every year or so they come out with a new set. It's a lot easier to keep up with. Mm -hmm. I have a generalized tabletop question. Yeah. So a lot of games are kind of like this, where they release expansions, they release new cards that are thrown into the mix, and you're just kind of encouraged to purchase them additionally. Are there any, like, self-contained, like, fully self-contained tabletop games that are kind of held in the same regard as, like, the original Steel Battalion, where it's just over, like, it's just super expensive and kind of really intense to get into but is really beloved by a small community yeah there's quite a few um things like twilight imperium is that one twilight imperium is a great example of that i have played exactly two games of twilight imperium uh (laughs) um arkham horror kind of holds that sort of uh space they actually just announced a new edition of arkham horror at gen con that i'm very excited about because it's one of my favorite games um great game Yes. Uh, the problem with Arkham Horror is sort of against what you're saying is the second edition of Arkham Horror, they released a lot of expansions for it. Um, they're not collectible expansions. They're all in a box. You know what you're getting. But it got to the point where um, to get a full set of Arkham Horror expansions, it was around $500. And then on top of that, you needed about three to four card tables worth of space to play it on and about eight to 10 hours. I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) I have played a nine hour game of Arkham horror before. Um, so, uh, in one sitting. So, um, the, some of those games got a little too crazy. Uh, twilight Imperium is not far off from that too. Um, but, uh, yeah, that generally there, that, that thing is pretty common. Diplomacy is an example of a game that's like that. Um, which is just a very classic kind of simple board game. Uh, Advanced Squad Leader is a game that originally came out in, I want to say, the 70s, maybe 80s. That was a a World War II-themed tactical uh, combat game. That one has a huge... People still play that today. It hasn't been in print for probably 20 years, and people play that. Uh, So, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for there to be a pretty heavy communities around very specific games. Um, Cool. Yeah. Actually, too, I will briefly mention, um, since we have a light cast today anyway, 
there another a game was announced at Gen Con that is one of the wildest things I've seen in like card gaming. I'm really hoping that it's super cool. So, uh, do you guys know who Richard Garfield is? He loves lasagna. Um, so he's the main guy who created Magic: The Gathering. Right, um, right. He's, 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 he's sort of a godfather of card game design. He's also working on Artifact with Valve. Um, that's he also part of why I'm excited about that game. Does that's he also hate the Mondays? Name. Yeah, I'm, he probably does hate Mondays. I think that's kind of a requirement with a name like that. So they announced his new physical card game at Gen Con. It's called Keyforge. It's the wildest thing. So. <laughs> You, 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 in every other trading card game, you like buy random packs of cards and then you build a deck. That is how trading card games work generally. Um, like Age of Sigmar, I buy this box of boosters and then I make a deck out of 30 of those cards. So in Keyforge, you buy a $10 deck and its contents are randomized. They're procedurally generated basically. Like it does math to figure out what a balanced deck is, puts those cards together, and then you cannot modify that deck. That is it. You can buy another deck, and maybe that deck will be more to your taste, but there is no deck building whatsoever. So wait, okay, is this a physical or digital game? It's a physical game. But, it's a physical okay. game. How are you enforce this? this is bullshit. Well, no, the way they enforce it is because when you buy the deck, it's the backs of the cards are printed a certain way. So, And not like a, 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 a... It's like Diablo items. It'll say, like, willful blah, blah, blah of soul or something. And it's like, it's, it's worded like a Diablo item and it'll be like a red color. So if I have a blue co- blue backed card in my deck, it looks totally different and you can go, Hey, wait a minute. That's not from that deck. Okay. It's so weird. And I was so not on board at first. I thought it sounded like a money grab of like buy decks and decks and decks until you get a deck that is better than everybody else's. But it sounds like they've, they're trying to mathematically balance the decks so that, it's not you, when you, you can be confident that like your deck is going to be as good as someone else's and all of the game balance is basically based on who plays better. That sounds so cool. The idea of like removing net decks and removing buying packs of cards and just it being like, yeah, I buy two or three decks and then find the deck out of those that I like, maybe trade a deck with somebody else who has one that they don't like as much. And then that's it. Sounds mm-hmm. really, really neat. Uh, and then also the idea of going, being able to play in tournaments where it's like a $10 entry fee and I'm handed a deck at the door and then you get 20 minutes to review what's in your deck and then you're playing a tournament. That sounds so fun too. So I recommend uh, anyone who thinks that sounds intriguing, keep an eye out for it. It's supposed to come out later this year. Uh, cool. And I've been kind of searching for tabletop games in my area, but to, I don't know, being an expat, it's... It's difficult. Yeah, I imagine that's kind of tough. I am Pat. (laughs) I am fortunate in uh, that I am in a very geeky part of the the United States. So there's about 25 different stores that I could be playing at 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 any given on any given night. Uh, It's just a matter of trying to find people that are interested. I am having a hell of a time trying to find people that actually want to play a Warhammer card game uh, in 2018 in outside of Seattle, Washington. That's fair. Um, well, now I will share what I've been playing. Uh, it's Mass, you know massive. Warhammer. It, no, it's kind of kind there of. Are, like there Effect. are there are vampires in Age of Sigmar champions. Okay. Well, yeah. So there's your segue. Oh wow, a whole deck of vampires. Uh, at at one point in Vampire by Don't Nod, 
you were on a boat, then it's a vampire on a deck instead of in a deck. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Man, imagine if he uh, was on a skateboard, though. Oh, man. Oh. The Tony Hawk 6. Skate 4. Vampires on deck. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, I've been playing that uh, vampire game by Don't Nod, uh, makers of Life is Strange and Remember Me. Uh, that game's real reminiscent of Mass Effect. Uh, specifically of the citadel stuff where you're going around and you're talking to people and you're getting lore and like stories and then they're like oh i lost this thing or i got attacked i don't know what happened and then you go to where they said they were attacked and you're like yeah there's some there's some bad vampires here and then you beat them up and then you find like oh i found your wallet and then, like, every one of the games sucks. They all have, like, deep secrets because it's, like, 20th century Spanish flu London. Yeah. So, uh, so everybody just, sucks. Everybody sucks. Not, eh, there's some, at least, I don't know, at the moment, some people, there's, like, a few people who are like, eh, you Everybody okay. sucks because everyone's a vampire. No, not everyone's a vampire. That would, that would be a disappointing twist. Uh, I don't actually know how far into it I am because I'm doing like all the side quests I pick up. I've played like, I think like 16 hours maybe. Uh, or I think, I don't know, maybe 16. Let me see what Steam says. Uh, I think on how long to beat it said the game is about 16 hours to beat. I've played about 12, but also I've only done like a few story missions because there's so much side content, side content in the game and there's no fast travel. So everything you do, you have to like run through all the burrows and stuff. And there's like four main areas, I think. Mm-hmm. And they've all got like stuff to look in and check out. So it's very similar to Mass Effect where you've got these like small areas that you can run through and look at and use your powers to like, you can like jump up on a ledge or stuff like that. Uh, it's not like super traversal based, but there are like, you know, safe houses and stuff that you get up off the street and go to or like some back alleys you can go down and find some loot uh yeah it's i'm really enjoying it the writing and stuff is pretty good um the combat is not amazing but it's like not why you're there so much like mass effect where like if you can work around like the combat it's fine so what you're telling me is that the combat in vampire 2 is going to be significantly better uh yeah yeah i I would hope uh well i never played much of remember me i played like the tutorial of remember me and what people say about that is the tutorial the combat isn't very good so i wouldn't hold your breath but maybe (laughs) um you get uh, so the way you level up is you get experience for doing side quests but you can also like feed on the npcs around and then by f- if you find their, like, personality traits, or if you find out, like, secrets about them, or heal whatever's ailing them, because you're a doctor, so if you give them medicine for whatever, like, their migraine or their bronchitis or whatever, it increases the quality of their blood. So when you feed on them, you get more experience. But if you feed on them, you kill them, and then it locks you out of any quests that would involve them, because you can't get their help because they're dead. Uh, so... Yeah. Is like the feeding. So is the feeding just giving you experience points or is it required that you do it regularly 
you uh feeding is part also part of like combat uh, mm-hmm. So like you you'll like stun an enemy and then bite them and then that'll right. fill up your blood meter. So like that's kind of required for combat, but you don't need to feed on any of the like Got story it. NPCs. Okay. You can if you want. It'll give you it'll give you more experience, so the game will be easier. If you don't feed, then the game is harder. Uh, I'm choosing not to feed on anyone because I'm a good I'm a good doctor and I don't want to be a vampire, but so, I, I'm doing it. So if you did feed on one of these story centered characters uh-huh. is it consensual are you like hey can i bite your neck and kill you because I, no. I made you better or is it like sorry bro no you're like i'm gonna hypnotize you lead you off into like a dark corner and then i'm gonna bite you and kill you yeah uh they give you like you know like they have the moment where you're like okay you're gonna hypnotize this guy as part of like a tutorial story thing and walk him over here okay now you can decide if you want to like just like let them out of the hypnotization or if you want to feed on them uh so i like i've got a bunch of people i could feed on but i've decided not to do so so that's kind of your renegade versus paragon choice uh kind of like i I don't get the sense that there's any like actual morality stuff but there kind of is you'll like so when you so after you get experience then you have to go to sleep and then that's when you can level up and put your points into the different things. Gotcha. And then that's when, uh, like, consequences will happen is once you go to sleep. So, like, I did a story quest, story mission, where I, like, had to go see this character and then shut down the thing they were doing. And then I got, like, a thing about a news story. And it's like, oh, this clinic in this area shut down because the person running it disappeared. And then I look in, like, if they go into, like, the menu that has all the characters for each borough, then it's like that person is missing and they're no longer in the story. Interesting. And and so then that'll affect the lives of the characters in that area. Are you ever, like, making, forced to make choices? Yeah, so, like, that instance that I just described was a a moment in the story where I I had to make a choice about... What am I going to do with this character? Got it. Uh, you also get like smaller choices, like, "Oh, you found this item. Are you going?" To, and like, "Oh, it revealed something cool. like a okay. secret about this character. Are you going to tell the other doctors, or are you going to confront them about it, or like, how are you going to respond to this like shady business they're doing?" I guess I'm just wondering of like my the thing that I think of. Um, obviously, it sounds like gameplay wise and even narrative wise, it's maybe closer to Mass Effect without as much focus on gunplay, but like. I think about stuff like um, in Dishonored, the way that if you kill lots of people, then the game later on, nastier things happen around the world. And yeah, there's that, some of that. Okay. Because like in Dishonored, I think that works really well because of the kind of game that it is. Mm-hmm. But if I would, a game that is more narrative focused and more conversational, mm-hmm. I would want there to be also hard choices of like, no, you're not just killing this guy or not killing them. You actually have to, cause like if it's that you can play a clean run where you don't kill anybody and then you didn't, you didn't actually make any choices. I guess mm-hmm. if like they're trying to pass off the kill or not kill as a serious choice to me, that's not like, as interesting as if there's actual choices the narrative forces you to make yeah so there there are choices the narrative forces you to make cool. and like i said uh, if you feed on a character but then like a quest comes up and you need that character to complete that quest then you can't do that quest uh, and then also if like it reduces like 
the safety or like health of like the district that you kill yeah, the person. Yeah. Okay. That, then if you do that enough, then like it becomes like super dangerous, and there's like Got powerful it. enemies. Interesting. Is okay. What I've gathered from like the tutorial tooltips and stuff, but I haven't been feeding on. So would you encounter like a character who's just totally reprehensible and you don't like the character at all, but if you were to feed on him, the area would become significantly less safe. Like do those kinds of choices end up happening? Uh there are a lot of characters that I have like mm, I should I should eat you because you're so terrible, but I am making the specific choice to try to not eat anybody because mm-hmm. I want to see with all these characters interacting like oh is this character going to kill this character or are they going to get into a fight or like you know stuff like that because there are all these interconnecting relationships and i want to see if those actually turn into anything and i have i don't know if I've, i don't think i've gotten far enough to actually see those things start to intersect yet it's it like i've only like- gone to the four burrows it seems like the most interesting playthrough of that game, not to take away from the way that you're playing it, because, uh, but I can see why you would do it that way, but it seems like the most interesting playthrough of that game is one where you eat some people, but not yes. everyone. And I'm wondering if the game... I'm wondering how hard it is to get to that most interesting playthrough. Like, if it's, like... Um, if the game kind of helps you find the right people to eat, but in a way that's almost not desirable too, because it's like, you want that stuff to be very emergent. Um, Fake emergent probably is really more what it is, but yeah, I don't don't feel like the game is like steering you like, Hey, you should eat this person, but it is Mm -hmm. giving you like a lot of terrible people and who are doing (laughs) like reprehensible stuff. Yeah. So like, it would be very easy to be like, okay, this guy, like, fuck this guy. He's a criminal. And then there's also the people like you're terrible, but you've got a son, or like maybe it's not actually your son. Maybe and those are interesting choices, son, and stuff like that. And so yeah, there's a lot of like I could totally see like where people get like no fuck this guy, I'm gonna eat him. But also like for me, like I want to see how these characters interact. Yeah, things develop later on because I I know that characters will disappear, but I don't know what'll happen if I don't eat them. Yeah. Another thing I would find interesting is seeing how the end game differs with all those different choices. Like, yeah, like, like when I think about that, I think about like the walking dead season one with telltale and how you could enter the end game with just Lee, for example, or you could have mm-hmm. the full crew with him, mm-hmm. but it didn't really change what happened in the ending. Mm-hmm. Like I would be interested in seeing if you have a full crew in vampire versus just your dude in vampire. What's his name? Matt or something? Uh, Jonathan Reed, I believe. There we go. Sorry. And you're not like collecting. You're not collecting like team members like Mass Effect or anything. Like you're pretty. You're solo the whole time, but you are like meeting people and interacting with them at like the hospital and right. throughout the different. Right, but like I'm just saying, it would be interesting to see the end game with none of those potential interactions influencing the end game versus all of them. Like, see if that actually makes a difference to the story. Yeah, it would probably be much easier combat wise because you'd have so much experience depending on when you decide to eat the people. But yeah, I, I don't know what that would uh, look like um, story wise. Fair enough. I'll try and maybe let you know if you know at least vaguely like oh it you know i think that would matter or i don't think it would matter at all uh 
but yeah, the story is kind of, at least at the moment, trying to figure out how, why you became a vampire or like who did it. It's a whodunit at the moment with like a bunch of other like stuff mixed in. So yeah, uh, it's a game I would recommend if you were into like the Mass Effect uh, conversation stuff. I don't know if I can like bone any of the people though. I don't know if that Mass Effect <laughs> aspect is there. <laughs> well, I will report back maybe on that. We'll see. On the vulnerability. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, vampires, they're very sexual in nature often. So uh, I could see it happening. There's yeah, a lot of, just a lot of nurses. At, just look at the count. <laughs> 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 I don't know if that was supposed to be a joke or not, but uh, well done. Uh, anyway, that's I think that'll wrap up my vampire discussion. Uh, but one quick highlight: uh, Evo is going on right now. Uh, it is. I, so I was watching some of the Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh, uh, stream yesterday and I don't know if like any of you have experience watching much fighting games like even as someone who plays Dragon Ball Fighters and enjoys it and is like I don't know I wouldn't say good but like competent I guess maybe <laughs> uh, even like well, listening to the commentary I'm like I have if I have barely understand what you're saying they just <laughs> they, because like so there are like multiple notations for like fighting game moves. There's like quarter circle back and that's like, you know, on the joystick, you do a quarter circle going back from like the down position, or you can say like two, four back or something like that. I think, which refers to on a number pad on a keyboard is the notation Like you do two, four, like punch, which is quarter circle back. And so they'll say like two H for down heavy, which is just like, come on. That's if, if I wasn't a fighting game person, I wouldn't understand that at all. I barely understand it. And they just, they keep using these terms. And I think street fighter has done a really good job with that, at least for the, uh, like the finals when they air them on ESPN, because I've got Seth Killian and another guy breaking it down for a person who maybe doesn't, no fighting games for like a mainstream audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that games would, I think that fighting game commentary would benefit if they just in general move towards that. Like there are going to be people who want like the super hardcore in-depth commentary and maybe you can have a stream for that. But I think the more layman's commentary would be beneficial in general because sure. they're just saying nonsense half the time. <laughs> <laughs> especially with a game like dragon ball fighters which is so bonkers and all over the place uh that just breaking it down in uh by easy to understand terms would be good but the commentators for dragon ball are very excited make lots of jokes and say nonsensical stuff i believe this was a quote from one of them uh during a match scissors only move is to beat paper it's by far the weakest play. If you're throwing scissors, you've already lost the mind game. That, wow. That was that was uh, from Dragon Ball Fighters commentary, I believe. That's pretty good. <laughs> Philosophical. 
and like they they like kept riffing on that like one guy was like i'll throw paper i'll throw paper three times in a row (laughs) and he's like no what you don't do that that's crazy Uh, you know stuff like like they're very fun to listen to but like if i'm trying to actually follow like what's happening in the game along with the commentary it's absolute nonsense yeah yeah i mean i don't know that sounds like it beats uh limp dj Khaled performance though oh yeah absolutely oh man uh they they do a really good job at like you know making it fun to watch but if you're trying to understand and learn it's not very helpful yeah uh but i you know i'd take you know excited i don't know i i think like i haven't watched the overwatch league but at least when i was watching the league of legends uh, lcs championship series um it was they had a good mix of like okay here's like the high level and then here's like the broken down play-by-play fundamental what they did that made it so good it would be interesting if they did it kind of like how valve does the international which is there's the mainstream well talking just about the english streams there's Mm -hmm. streams in every language but for just the english stream there's the mainstream which is like the commentators talking with very intricate language that people that follow the scene understand but then they also have the new player stream where they're breaking down like why they're choosing to do this what does this actually do what what's going on with the teams right now like what are they thinking so like talking about the lower level stuff or i guess higher level stuff that like the people who follow the pro scene every day of their lives Mm -hmm. already Mm -hmm. get so. Yeah, and, and that's what Street Fighter does. With they've got like the Twitch stream, and then they've got like the ESPN feed. Right, and I think right, you can right. watch that on Twitch as well. But like Seth Killian does a really good job of making that accessible, and it's not just sure. Seth; it's another character, another another character. It's another guy uh, on there. I can't remember who though. Um, but and like right now, it's group stages, so they're just burning through matches as fast as they can and like best of twos so you're not necessarily going to get like you know trying to get like all the highest level commentary because some of these people are like scrub level basically mm-hmm. like not even worthwhile but and like the, but the commentators being so excited makes it really easy to like at least find the match interesting they just need to do a better job of like trans like communicating what's actually like the mechanics of what the people are doing yeah that makes sense do you know if the espn feed is doing the thing that like valve tried doing with the past few internationals and that's kind of humanize a few of the players to kind of give them their own story i don't know if it's specific to espn but last year with uh i think it was last year that's uh uh, there was yeah i think it was last year uh punk in like street fighter was i think he's like 18 or was 18 at the time or something and they had like you know stories and interviews with him uh and then his dad was there and there long island joe it might have been last year the year before his dad and like so, like they tend to do it with the american players because i think that's easier for like an espn audience to like mm-hmm. get behind um and like the, you know the people they're following are very exciting uh, and like interesting people and i don't think like the language i think there's like a language barrier with like some of the japanese players who tend to also be the top players who tend to be in the top um so i think waypoint actually did uh one of their they had like a thing that aired on disney xd um about yeah. evo and i think they talked to punk uh so if you can i'll see if i can find that and link you to it 
because uh, there are some really good stories about like these up and comers who are like, you know, they're super positive. Long Island Joe, I think, is a great example. Um, super positive guy, super nice, and like super like excited and fun to watch. But then like, oh man, he lost. And, but like seeing everyone like rally around those people on Twitter, like you know, the night of the finals and stuff, is really exciting and interesting. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, did how was the Overwatch League stuff, Pat? Did you watch it? Um, I caught up on some of it. I didn't watch it live. Um, it was good. I don't know. I'm. I think that that they had great presentation. Um, they were really doing it right in a lot of ways. I just lost steam on that because uh, the teams that I was interested in just fell super flat. Um, and it was really, I mean, my one of my least favorite teams was one of the teams playing in the finals against London, who was a team I just didn't care about at all. So, I don't know. They, I, dude, they need to start using their real names. Like, that. that's part of it is, like, I cannot give a shit about somebody who uses a wonky, like, not their, like, I don't want to, trying to tread carefully here because I don't want to, like, imply that, uh, any specific type of person is like less enjoyable to follow, but like there's a lot of like, uh, let's say that there's sort of an archetype that like somebody like Ninja fits into. Um, like imagine like 30 dudes like that, that have weird puns with lead speak in their names sitting behind monitors. Like I just don't give a shit about those guys mm, and Tyler Ninja Blevins. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the, the guy that I like the most is his, his name is Jake because he's, that's just his name. <laughs> his name's Jake. His character, his name in, in Overwatch League is Jake. Uh, and, uh, he, he played for Houston and I got kind of into Houston, but then Houston just, just took a dive after about halfway through the season, they started losing a lot. So I don't know it. They need to, they need to get people to get players to use their real names because their real names are on display on the stream. It's not like they, they show their name as like Jake, Jake, whatever his last name is. I forgot. Uh, so they, it's not Jake, like they're like, Jake Roberts. yeah, it's not like they're protecting their identities or anything by using their, their, uh, their game names. And I think it would just make it a lot easier for people to get invested in those players. Um, it would put more of a face on them. They also need to start like it's tough. Like the, so many of the players in the overwatch league are assholes and they proved that time and time again with the way that they conducted themselves over the course of the season. And it's hard because it's kind of a limited pool of players that are that skilled to work with. So they can't just like kick them out for too much, but uh, I kind of sucks seeing people that like used homophobic slurs playing in the playoffs like mm -hmm. to me that's like that's toxic behavior that we don't support and i wish that that team had just dropped that player but they also like there's only so many professional overwatch players too so i don't know it's it's a tough like it's a tough world and it's a t it's they're they're kind of treading ground they're trying to do it in a way that's different than i think evo is approaching it where they're trying to bring it to mainstream Whereas Evo feels like from what the coverage I've watched is more like if you are mainstream and you're interested, here's a path, but we're not mm -hmm. trying to like pull Evo 
over to being something that can be on ESPN. Mm-hmm. It's more mm-hmm. like if ESPN's interested, sure, we'll we'll do a stream. Um, yeah. Whereas Overwatch League is like they're trying to pull esports into the mainstream, and I think mm-hmm. both paths are actually important for the direction of the that stuff uh, in general. But yeah, I don't know. They need to play regional games. There needs to it needs to be like as big of a expense as that is for an electronic sports league. And as silly as it sounds, if you live in New York, you should be able to go see New York Excelsior play a game. If you live in Philadelphia, you should be able to go see the fusion play a home game. That's just, that's, that's going to create more mainstream fandom because where, as it stands is it was a lot of hardcore overwatch fans in Los Angeles that picked Mm -hmm. teams based on who played for them Mm -hmm. and who they had watched in previous competitive overwatch leagues. So they got to do regional games. They got to get people yeah. to use their real names, and I think they'll be on their way. If anyone's got the money to do it, it's Blizzard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and I think Overwatch is probably a decent game to be that game. Like it's very colorful and easy to follow. Like, yep. Someone casually watching it could be like, oh, okay, I understand what's going on here, even if they don't yep. understand all of the abilities. Yeah, yep. much much like League of Legends, like there's like roles that you play and people can gravitate to I, I love this player for this mm-hmm. role because XYZ or like, you know, I'm inspired by that or whatever. So yeah, that's really cool. Um actually one thing I'm curious about, um because I th- I was thinking about this while I was watching the Evo stream, is uh in the finals of like league and like fighting game tournaments and stuff i've always noticed that like it always boils down to like the same team compositions Mm. like everyone's playing the exact same thing whereas throughout like a regular season or like even earlier in a tournament people are trying wild crazy shit Mm -hmm. it's like wait so it's like kind of earlier in a tournament is often way more interesting because you've got like a much wider variance in um like team composition or just like characters that people are playing and then once you get to the top, it's everyone's playing like the same like four top tier characters, except maybe like one person who has like a weird pocket pick that no one's used to, so they get caught off guard. Was that the case with Overwatch League? Everyone doing different stuff in the regular season and then kind of moving towards a similar stuff? Really? The, the way that it tends to work is that Overwatch's character pool is so limited compared to something like League or Dota um, that you don't really see. Um, there's counters that happen because you can swap characters when you die. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, there's certainly like picks matter, um, but it's largely based on the map that you're playing on mm-hmm. and the player playing. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's, you're not going to see like weird uh, like, Oh, they're trying this crazy tactic where they got four healers. That just doesn't really mm-hmm. happen. Um, it's much more about like, um, you'll each person plays two to three champions or plays two to three characters very well. And then they'll swap based on the other team's composition. But because you can swap characters so much uh, in the middle of a match, there's a lot of fluidity to how the team mm-hmm. comps play out. And so you don't really see like crazy strategies in general that much. At least I didn't really notice any when I was watching. Mm-hmm. It's pretty like, these are the characters. These are the, the characters that these players are good at. These are who they play. Um, mm-hmm. And you tend to see almost every character played. I don't. I mean, Doomfist is the one that I don't remember seeing much Doomfist play. He's pretty weak. Uh, Doomfist and Sombra are really the two characters that you don't see that much of. Mm. But otherwise, it's a pretty good spread. Hmm. 
interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, so if you're interested in fighting games or not interested in fighting games, even I'd say, hey, check out the Evo stuff going on. At least the finals, those are usually pretty exciting. And the, like I was saying, the uh, was the commentary is pretty good and interesting. They keep it pretty fresh by rotating out the commentators every hour or two, I think. And, uh, you know, best of two games. So you're seeing a lot of, like, turnover. Uh, with the Dragon Ball stuff, I've seen it's a lot of, like, the top-tier characters. But every once in a while, like a, uh, like a pocket pick will come out. And you're like, ooh, that's, what, how's this going to go? And then usually it goes poorly for that person. But sometimes <laughs> it goes well. Uh, you know, like when that one guy pulled out Yamcha and won a tournament against, like, the best player. Yeah. So now there's a lot of Yamchas in the in the field. <laughs> um, do you? Uh, does anyone here care about the international this year? Kind of. I mean, I haven't really followed any of the the majors yeah, this year. Either. Like, I, I played a ton of Dota last year, but I haven't played it in just under twelve months. So yeah, but same. but I'll probably watch it. Yes. I I just I can't. Dota just doesn't. I don't like anything about that game dota 2 i don't like i don't like the way it looks don't like the way it plays i don't like the way it i don't like anything about it it's a it's a brick wall of a game that's for damn sure like i mean i gotta really want to climb that real deep into league of legends and like i spent you know years playing that and anytime i touch dota i'm just like this doesn't this doesn't feel i think i think that i think that that happens like I straddled the the fence and played both of those games. I have probably played 200-ish hours of each of those games, which is, for those games, by no means a ton. Um, That's amateur shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, is that because I never played either of them at a particularly high level, I was kind of able to float back and forth between them. But my friends who I played League with, I played Dota by myself because Mm -hmm. I, I think that Dota is a better designed game uh, in terms of the numbers. Um, but uh, all of my friends played League, so I would play League with them. And whenever I tried to get them to play Dota, they described the same feeling that you had, which was like they've all played thousands of hours of League. So they're whenever they pick up Dota, it's just like it's like picking up like a burning coal. It's just like gross. Everything about it feels awful. Um, yeah. And yeah. and I think that's because the the subtle differences between those two games are pronounced enough that like if you play one for thousands of hours or hundreds of hours, whatever, like tons of time, the yeah. other one's naturally going to feel like totally garbage. Uh, and I think that's pretty normal. I think like I've put almost 5,000 hours into Dota 2. So I think over the past seven years or something like that, I think there's a lot of elitism from both communities, unfortunately, but yes. I think you're going to find that Dota players would have an easier time going to league than the other way around. Just because so, League is yeah. mechanically not as dense as Dota. So like there's some things you'll have to get used to, but with going from League to Dota, there's a lot of things that you have to learn that League doesn't do at all. Yeah, there's for me at least, like it's the movement, like and which is weird to say about like a bull. It's RTS type like weird though. Dota's yeah. way slower. It's, yeah, it's it's that, everything moves slower. Like, if I'm like, okay, now no, turn around, and then there's like the, they actually have to like physically turn around, which is like interesting, but I don't, I don't got time for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I and would, just the way the abilities and targeting stuff works, it just has never felt good. I, I could see like if you were going to compare it to other games, I could see it being like 
League being Call of Duty and Dota being like Arma. Like they're both totally viable. Like they're both shooters. They're both like similar enough that if you look at them from the outside, they probably look very similar. But when you're actually playing it, like there's just so much going on that's different. So does that mean that the best MOBA Smite is like the best shooter Battlefield? Pop <laughs> <laughs> Ross skin in Battlefield Five. <laughs> if only we can. All, if only we're so lucky. <laughs> uh, uh, so you're talking about DJ Khaled's appearance at uh, Overwatch League. Uh, it, one year, I think it was when they were in Korea. League of Legends had Imagine Dragons. Oh yeah, I had I I watched that entire tournament very live. I took like time off. My <laughs> friends and I sat around in a basement and watched the Imagine Dragons performance. That shit was wild because that was in a massive football mm-hmm. stadium, mm-hmm. way bigger than any stadium in the United States, yeah. like or Canada. It was like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. this like immense, like World and Cup was, Olympic Stadium type. Shit. Yeah, and it was like sold out too. It, yeah. it sat like two hundred twenty thousand people, and it was sold out. And none of those people gave a single shit about Imagine Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, but like also, at least they were into the game. Where yeah, like, yeah. DJ Khaled, he, do, he doesn't. He doesn't, doesn't even know sex. what Overwatch he doesn't is. Know what Overwatch is. <laughs> he he said on stage, "When I say over, you say watch." <laughs> and then he explained. He explained how like it was really important for him to come and be there because Overwatch, the Overwatch League, is making history or something, and that like he needed to be a part of it because it's on the cutting edge, but also that like. He was in town because he's on tour with Beyonce and Jay Z, and he wanted everyone to know that. And <laughs> it's just, it was it. I, I mean, like, I don't know. It was bad. Let's say I've enjoyed some of DJ Khaled's antics in the past. Things like his infamous getting lost on the jet ski. Like a lot of that stuff has been very good entertainment. Uh, th- this was awful. Like, I don't think they could have done much worse. I think they could have pulled up somebody from the stage to like play guitar on stage and it would have been better than DJ Khaled. He was fucking terrible. <laughs> get a nice wonder wall sing along going. He tried to get people to rap lyrics to a song that came out like four days ago or, you know, four days prior to the show. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like do the, do Quavo's rap from this new song that came out two days ago and no one knew the words. Why would you know the words? <laughs> uh you know it's especially in that crowd like i even if you went to like a concert and did that that would be like a tough sell you yeah. go to <laughs> overwatch league also, i can't remember nerds. exactly what the wording was but when they introduced him it was something like the person was like uh it's going down on stage right now with dj Khaled, <laughs> and it was definitely on purpose <laughs> there is no way that it was not on purpose <laughs> Uh, DJ Khaled. Uh, esports. Esports. Um, going down. Esports is always going down. Esports uh, are going down. Especially Evo right now. Uh, they will. And then Goku and Vegeta will come to Dragon Ball Fighters. Finally. Oh, okay. Goku and Vegeta will come to Dragon Thank Ball God. Fighters. I've been waiting. Yeah, now you can finally get it. <laughs> <laughs> Goku and Vegeta are finally in the game. Uh, but yeah, I think that'll do it unless anyone else has anything they want to talk about. No? Okay. Well, 
this has been episode 31 of Gaming Fix. Uh, please rate, like, comment on iTunes, Google Play, uh, fix.space. Uh, do, we, do we have an RSS feed on there? I don't even know. Yeah, we do. Uh, uh, Facebook, you know, give just come, come, come talk to us. Pornhub, we don't bite unless you ask. Yeah, uh, well, Alex will tell you about that one. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Coolslaw, C-O-O-L-S-L-4-W. Uh, where can people find you, Alex? I don't know. It's a good question. Where where can't they find you? Uh, List all the places you cannot be found. Texas. Okay. South Africa. Okay. Nor Israel. Okay. Okay, I think that's a good start. Um, <laughs> Tune in next week Alex. for the next place that <laughs> where in the world is Alex? No, where isn't in the world? Where isn't in the world is Alex Galinas? <laughs> uh, Pat, best boy, what? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Jester PC on stuff and at gamingandconfidence.com and also uh, <laughs> in the Puget Sound region of the state of Washington united states yo your your damn website i tried to make a comment on one of your blog posts because it was a lovely blog yeah post. it said and you were it said i was a spam robot yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah there's some spam protection going on because i got uh botted pretty hard recently <laughs> so <laughs> it's being a little overzealous right now if only some bots would come to our podcast we could get some engagement <laughs> damn. don't worry this will be the highest rated podcast that we have yet we should make sure to put esports in the tag, and then we'll be also in. vampire boats. DJ Cal vampire, vampire boats. Uh, what what else? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just we, we talked about ninja. I think that'll get us at least a million followers. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's how that works. His yep. hair is so pink right that now. Is. I can't get enough pink. <laughs> Well, there we have an episode title at least. <laughs> There's a some energy. I think it was a five-hour energy commercial. I think they had like a pink one, and there was like some football player. He's like, I can't get enough pink. Wow, Harry. just just uh, put that over DJ Khaled yep. at Overwatch League <laughs> finals. Yep. Uh, oh, I went on the Evangelion roller coaster. It was, was it, it was, was VR. It, was it disappointing just like the show? Oh. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed oh. it. Uh it was fun. Uh yeah, it was a good time. Uh, did, a VR roller coaster, so did they yeah, congratulate you, you at the end with clapping? Yes. Yes, they always do. Every ride. Uh I think I think it's every ride they clap for you. Which is just I mean like for kids I guess it makes sense, but they should be like, Okay, there's no kids on this ride. Let's let's no. <laughs> but uh yeah, that was uh I went there with uh, Erica and her husband, Xavier. It was a good time. Uh, I still I don't like riding the Jurassic Park ride because I don't like the, the drops. Is it like a roller coaster or is it a boat it's, water it's boat like, ride? It's, it's a water boat ride. There is I'm a roller coaster. But... That's like the one in Florida then, at Universal Florida. Yeah. Uh, I like those. The Hollywood one they're replacing, and now I'm wondering if they're going to make it like the ball things from the new movies. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't like uh, 
roller coasters where it's like you're up very high and you could fall off and die. See, That's why I like the boat ones because it's like uh, the uh, what is it? The flying dinosaur. You're hanging <laughs> the uh, time, and, nope. uh, and like especially on the climb, and then you go upside down. It's head first, and you go Mm-mm. upside. It's Mm-mm. you go underground at one point. Nope, not for me. Not for me. Uh, I'll take a was, I'll take a boat ride with some drops, but no thanks for that. There was a really good picture of me with just wide eyed tear on the boat ride, and I've ridden it like three times now, but it's still <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the drops. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna when it was like a hundred degrees, that getting splashed with the water was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, go long as a that's our motto here. Uh, thanks for joining me today, guys. It was a uh, it was fun. It's a good time. Always. Anytime yeah. on a Saturday. And it's Sunday, but yeah, uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I thought you know, normally I was like, oh, this is you know, we're only three of us. We're only gonna have a little bit to talk about, but then, we yeah, forever. Just, yep. yep. Conversation, esports, vampires, trading card games, music. Yep. yep. Really range the gamut. Video games are good. They're okay for right now. Not too bad. What if Red Dead got delayed? You know, I realized that I don't want to play red dead on a playstation 4 and it's making me think that i may not play red dead this year mm. like i definitely don't want to play that game on a console um because we're hitting that point in the cycle where like i don't have a ps4 pro i'm not going to buy a ps4 pro mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy an xbox one x mm-hmm. and red dead's going to probably not run great on mm-hmm. standard hardware mm-hmm. so like Probably I may just wait till they put it out on PC. Either. No, like I might just wait till they come out with it on PC. Uh, who knows when that will be? But I, I'm have, pretty sure it's going to happen. Yeah, they haven't said they're doing it. I don't think they have an official. I think they said that they're planning to release it on PC, but that they're okay. that's like as far as they've gone. Yeah. How long, how long did it take GTA Five to come to PC after the six, console release? Six, six months. That's a while. Really? Is that fast? I thought it was more like a year or two. I thought it might have been a year. I don't, I'm not sure, though. I think Andre is furiously Googling as we speak. Uh, 17th, 2013. Yeah, so actually there's no, no plans wait, the yet. Initial release date. Initial release date. Wait, what? There's nothing yet for Red Dead on PC. Like, I guess I'm wrong. They haven't even said. There was a petition to get them to release it there, but mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I just don't find... I don't really feel inclined to spend $60 on console games at this point in the cycle anymore. Um, uh, oh, it was like, it was six months after it came out on PS4 and Xbox one. Oh, that's cool. Oh so, yeah. 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 So, so that was like was a year almost, after it was, it was like yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. Cause it was September, 2013, November, 2014, then April, 2015 for PC. Well, and that worked really well for them. Cause a lot of us, like I, I think a lot of people did this. I bought GTA 4 or GTA 5, GTA 4, God, GTA 5 on um, PS3, and then I bought it on PS4, and then I bought it again on PC. Granted, those were more spread out than the just the straight release dates. Like, I bought it on PS3 on release day, and then I bought it on PS4 the first day it came out for PS4, and then, like, two years later, I got it on sale on PC. But still, I bought it three times. Um, I don't think I want to do that again <laughs> with I, Red Dead. Yeah, I, I, have, I don't think I'm going to... I don't think I'll ever play GTA five and I don't think I'll ever play Red Dead Redemption two. I just, those games don't do it for me. I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, GTA five was good, 
in a way that I don't need them to make another one. I don't know. I, it, there's so many more interesting open world games out there um, that are like more exciting. Like I would rather go through and play The Witcher. I've never finished The Witcher three. I'd rather go through and finish The Witcher three than play Red Dead two. You know, like that's that's the kind of stuff. Like there's so many games out now that yes, I see the hand motions. There's so many <laughs> games out now that like I don't need to play a rockstar Western if it's not done, if it's not made available to me in a way that is super palatable, which mm-hmm. if it were releasing on PC, I would play it. Cause I like the first game, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's sensible. Uh, but I hope, I hope that game's good. Yeah. Uh, for, for people who are excited more, for it, I hope it's good. Uh, you know, that doesn't do it for me. Uh, you know, the bends, I need the bends. <laughs> and I need this podcast to end. So yeah, I was gonna say what does do it for all of us. Yeah, uh, I need I need the ends. Uh, <laughs> so long, everybody. The end sounds that sounds gross. Oh, it is. The, the butt end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. That's, <laughs> goodbye. That's it. It's it. <laughs> Finn. Buenos noches.